Hey team, this is Daniel Chapel with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. The podcast you're getting ready to hear was a conversation between me and Mark Hull. Mark is on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's also with the 3D Institute. Mark is a friend of mine. He's a mentor. He's someone that has really influenced my thinking and my approach to sports, sports psychology, sports theology. Mark's done a lot of work in those areas. He's done a lot of reading, writing, and research on how sport intersects culture, how culture intersects sport, the influence of sport on our culture, theology of sport, sports psychology. Uh, Mark has a lot of experience as both a, a dad who coached his own kids and also who served teams as a character coach at the collegiate level and even the Olympic level. So Mark has a, quite the resume uh, as far as his experience and his expertise in thinking about sport. And so in this conversation, we're going to dive into the subject of how should we think about sports from a biblical perspective? Um, should we engage with sports just as it comes? Or are there certain things about sports that maybe as Christians we should think a little bit more deeply about? This is a very important conversation uh, for us to have as believers who are approaching this 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 realm of, of sport and the world of sport. So jump in with us. We're really excited to have this conversation. If you could leave us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. If there's other topics that you'd like to hear us dive into, there's other people that you would love for us to try to reach out to and do conversations with, we would love uh, to hear your feedback. You can send us an email. You can send me a text message or a phone call. And all that information is on our website, www.v2fca.org. Thanks for listening have a good friend, a mentor, a colleague from FCA, Mr. Mark Hull, is joining us today. And uh, we're going to be talking about a theology of sport. How do we think about sport and competition and play from a biblical perspective? There's no uh, first book of athletes or first book of coaching in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Uh, we don't have the ability to really go to chapter and verse. So like we would do with the theology of work or theology of parenting, we want to really dig in and say, what principles, what paradigms, what frameworks do we have from Scripture to explain, really, how we feel and how we get so wrapped up and so uh, enamored with this thing called sport? Is it a good thing? You know, the church throughout history has been kind of on the fence back and forth about how we think about sport and competition, depending on the cultural applications of sport. So we wanted to dig into those questions today. I think some of it's very practical and applicable for our coaches and athletes. And uh, there's no one better to talk to than Mark Hall. So I'm really excited to have him on. Mark, welcome to Theology Thursday. It's good to be with you. I'm not sure there's no one better to talk to, but <laughs> there's no one more available right now to me. So let's just be honest. <laughs> well, you said that, not me. So we'll go. Yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, I really do appreciate, Mark, your perspective and your thinking. You've done a lot of thinking, speaking, and reading on this subject that quite honestly, in my opinion, hasn't gotten enough treatment really uh, from, from thinkers and scholars seeing as how popular sport is in our culture. I think the, the real tendency amongst pastors at least is to, to get frustrated with sport, with the travel sport and the, the infringement on Sunday morning, but not really theologically dig into and interact with sport from a theological level. What do you think about that? I think it's been fascinating. It's not that we think too much about sport. It's that we don't think enough. And so it, we, we ride this wave wherever it goes. And, and I would certainly appreciate more of those people that I have great respect for in the theological realm. 
to truly dig into this, but they, they might hit a landmine along the way and are not real interested. And the other thing is this, is that when, when pastors address it, especially from the stage with, with the rightful thing, because if, there's nothing that keeps us out of Christian community that is sanctioned in our culture more than competitive sport, nothing. And we honor it or we feel like we got on the train and now the train's going so darn fast I don't know how to get off. Right. And I don't know if I want to get off, but I'd sure like it to slow down. The beauty of right now, the train has slowed down. Yes, it has. And a lot of people are rethinking this. A lot of people are looking at their bank account and seeing they have more money in it. That's right. A lot of people are looking at their weekends and their children and they're starting to rediscover play again it's a fascinating time what are the silver linings in this dark cloud it's, it's interesting we have a chance to think to to ponder right now we have some time so mark if i were to come to you and say i want to think well think from a biblical perspective from a practical perspective about sport where do you think we should start uh, um, we start with Jesus. Okay. And that's not a all things are Jesus kind of answer. <laughs> the the bushy-tailed squirrel right. story. This, no, you I think in theology, at some point in time, you've got to pick a starting point. I don't start with David and Goliath. I don't start with Old Testament allusions to conquering. I don't start anywhere else but with Jesus. And what are the things, as a Christian, I just say, what are the things honored in the kingdom of God? I look at what Jesus did, not what he did on the cross, but what he did for three years. It was a singular purpose of announcing and enacting the kingdom of God and saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is the breaking into the kingdom. It's here now. And we're called to pray. The formative prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things we do on earth is sport. And we should be vetting that, at least in our imaginations, through that thought process. What would it look like if his kingdom were to come, if his will were done on every ball field, playground, mat, pitch, wherever we are? What would it look like in heaven, so on earth? We imagine it. We start to engage our imagination, and then we enact it. And what we will do is we will find that colliding more than we would like with our sport experience today. Right. Which is interesting because I think as Christians, we're often aware that the kingdom ethic collides with the way we may have been taught to do business or the way we were taught to parent. And we're pretty comfortable, for the most part, with allowing those things to collide. But it would seem that we're a lot more hesitant to do that with sport. Why would you why do you think that might be? Um, that's like Give me a simple answer to an incredibly complex and layered <laughs> right. thing. Exactly. Why there, it's, there are cultural reasons why, and then there are personal reasons why. Uh, part of it is because we're so enamored with it 
And I believe one of the reasons why we're so enamored with it is it's one of the very few things we do that engages our whole being. That's right. Sport and play engages our whole being, our body, our mind, and our spirit. It is marked by two things. It's marked by joy and wonder as it captures our imagination and our effort in process and pursuit. There's very few things that engage our whole being. Another thing that is supposed to engage our whole being is worship. Mm. Worship is to engage our physical being. Read the Psalms, read the New Testament, and the physical nature of ascribing worth to God. Mm. And our mind, you know, take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's your spiritual act of worship. There, there, there they are right now, all three of them, body, mind, and spirit. Worship and play are two things that are engaged our whole being. When it's done right, play can be akin to worship. When it's done wrong, it is idolatry. Mm. And, and I think that's part of it. It's just, even in uh, Zechariah, when it gives this look at the future coming, when his shalom comes to Israel, to Jerusalem, and then it says old men and women will have canes because they'll get to be old. There won't be war anymore. And children will play in the streets. That's the illusion of the kingdom when there's a freedom to play. And I think some of it, that's why it's so captivating, because it engages all of us. Our problem is we are letting powers and principalities form it. And we are enamored by those forms. Right. If we were to start to unpack what it looks like in the kingdom of God and what it looks like uh, when the false ruler of the fallen world has some say in it. Exactly. That takes time it to does. unpack. It does. You're right. And I think for us, when we look at, if we would look at, you know, Christian, the state of Christian marriage or the state of Christian, Christian financial stewardship, those same principles of pride and fear and anger, yep. those same things are at work in those other areas. And I think we need to be very honest to see that things that we may immediately import as, well, that's just part of the game. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not meant to be if we really go back and say, what are what does a Christian imagination think about how we do this? All of a sudden, those things that Paul listed as works of the sinful nature, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't <laughs> just automatically baptize those as part of the game. Is that kind of an example of what you're talking about here? I, I do. It is. And. The other thing I think that we get so enamored by is, is the place of winning okay. in sport. And, and I think there, there are a couple things that we have to rethink if a Christian imagination, instead of the common imagination that's captured most of us, we've got to rethink the place of winning and we've got to rethink the definition of competition. Okay. Could you unpack those for us? Sure. If, uh, if we look at play, it's this imaginative activity that, that kids that doesn't take much to capture them. We go from play to games, which are just structured play. And then we go to sport, which is structured play with this spice thrown in of competition. It livens it up. 
The problem is competition's not satisfied with being the spice. It wants to be the purpose of sport. Mm. And when it becomes the purpose, it shoves out joy and wonder, which is the, is the primary purpose. This thing that just creates life in a flourishing human life that God smiles on. It shoves it out and inserts winning. Winning becomes what's most important. And whatever is most important forces everything else to bow down to it. By definition, it's right. most important. So it is why, as much as we say as Christians that winning is not most important, if we were to unpack what we do, I think we would have to come to a different conclusion. Because cheating helps me win. Gamesmanship helps me win. When I look at the opponent, and here's the other, is competition. How do we define it? Because functionally, in business, in education, in sport, in all of those areas, functionally, competition is seen as when two or more individuals or entities strive after something for only which one can have. That is its functional definition. It's a scarcity mentality. More people are going after something than can have it. And then you become an object in my way, very at best. And now the language of, of enemy or against at best or much worse. Now we bring in military mentality as if, as if the kingdom of God ever advances through military force, never does, ever. Uh, and we use that imagination. So things like revenge, rivalry, mm -hmm. uh, anger, hatred, and then violence, all of them become just part of the game. And that when we look at it like that, uh, those two collide, the kingdom of God and that kind of competition, as I say, I cannot find a place for that in a kingdom imagination. I, I just, maybe somebody else can, I can't. But if I can see competition as a striving together, as a coming together to agree, then the imagination is more with my, with my teammates and with, with my opponents, it's more of a dance because we're doing it together. I don't wish ill on my dance partner. That would be foolish. Why would I wish ill on those who I'm playing with, not against? Words matter because words shape our thinking. If I say I'm competing against you, I think one way. If I say I'm competing with you, I think entirely differently. Hmm. And words matter. And so I think we start to catch ourselves and say, no, we, we, I don't compete against anybody, myself or anyone else. I'm competing with. We're striving together. So we're going to agree to bring the best out. We're going to bring our physical best, but we're going to bring our moral best as well. Right. And so we go beyond the rules to the heart and to the spirit. Uh, there's a lot of rethinking that has to happen because I've got to take winning off the top. It cannot be most important. And Which I've is, got to rethink competition. As we rethink this, it's, I think it's going to be, I think our imaginations, because, you know, I, 
if you were to look around my office here, you would see there's a lot of North Carolina Tar Heel paraphernalia all around the room. And so for me coming up, rivalry is really what drove a lot of the passion, sure. especially coming as a North Carolina, I grew up in the state basketball fan. The Duke, Carolina, NC State rivalry was such that it really drove a lot of the energy behind thinking about sport and competition. Would we say that that is an unhealthy way to approach sport when so much of sport is built around a rivalry mentality? People would say, well, it's just, that's just part of the, of the fun of, of competition. How would you respond to that, Mark? Um, sport is the most unserious thing we do. There's nothing serious, really. What's the big deal about somebody putting a round ball through a, a round ring? It's, but to enjoy it, we have to take seriously. So it's a non-serious seriousness. If we can keep it there, I think we can manage the ten tension. The problem is there's such a thin veil between play and reality mm. that we, we think that there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, it's just kind of livens it up. We'll go in the stands. Uh, check your own heart as you look at the other team. You know, one of the translations of Philippians 2, I believe it's 2 and 3, that used to be the Bible that FCA used, the Holman Christian Standard, it put it like this, do nothing out of rivalry or vain ambition. Hmm. Because rivalries uh, may be the most dangerous thing we're in. They seem innocuous. But what happens to us when the other team wins in a rivalry? What do we think when our team wins and beats you? We're superior. There's, there's something about it. Yes, it livens it up, but it can poison it as well, at least poison our souls in that process. If we really thought about it, do I think, do I wish ill on the other team? Uh, do, am I excited when our team gets the call that I knew wasn't right, but boy, we got that one. Yeah. Um, do I get so upset when that call goes against us that I'd, I would be embarrassed if I saw a video of myself? I mean, it, I, you, boy, rivalry is about like anger. The Bible gives us a little window on what we can be angry about and how short Paul says, you know, do, don't let the sun go ahead. There's this thing you can be angry about, but don't let the sun go down on the anger. Then a, a few books later, he just says this, just put all anger aside. Because most of you don't know how to handle it anyway. And I'm one of them. I, I, I just, it, and so rivalry becomes like anger. There may be a place for it, but if we checked our own hearts, do we think there's going to be that kind of rivalry when his kingdom comes in its fullness? Right. And, it, and so, you know, I, I get it. And I've, I've been part of it. And it, what it, here's the other thing rivalry does. Rivalry does. It creates an us and a them. And when we create an us and a them in any environment, us is always the good guys and them is always the bad guys. Us Republicans, us Democrats, us you know, NC State fans, us Duke fans, us Florida State fans, you Clemson fans. Uh, anytime you create an us and a them, 
you have good guys and bad guys. And when you become the good guy, you lose sight of the own darkness in your own heart. Right. And I think most people who would probably push back who are listening to this would say, well, it's all in fun. You know, I, I can let it, at the end of the day, I see that there are other human beings, but then there's so much evidence to the contrary where we see, you know, was it 10 years ago, more now, the guy that went and poisoned the tree on Auburn's campus because he was an Alabama fan. That's a, that's, that's serious, but it's not, it is, it was criminal. He actually got indicted for that, but then all the cheating and the other scandals that we see, all of the, all of the ugly the unethical, the illegal, the immoral things to prop up, um, to prop up production, as in winning. We have to win games. You know, in church history, these have been the kind of things that have caused some church leaders to say, "This is so nasty that for it would be better for Christians to withdraw." And it's so unholy that we can't really be a part of that. Would you say, Mark? How would you how would you say that a Christian should think about if sport is where it is? Should we be engaging with it? Is there a way to quote unquote redeem it or, or sanctify it? Or should we be more reclusive and kind of draw back from sport as Christians? How do you think we approach that? I think there is room for a whole spectrum there because some people probably need to say, my heart has been so darkened by that. I'm like an alcoholic and I can't even go into the bar and have a drink. You can, that's fine for you. I'm not judging you but I know what it's done to my heart and I just can't go there. There will be, there should be people like that. And then there are others who, who can say, look, I've, I've been able to keep this kind of creative space in my own soul and continue to ask myself reflective questions of does this, when I enter this realm of competition, does it draw me closer to those in the circle because of shared experience, including the people I'm competing with. Right. Uh, can I imagine Jesus not on my side and being my coach and being my spectator, but on the other side, on the other team? Because he is, you know. Yeah, uh, I think, and Mark, I think that's a really important place for most people's imagination is not formed in that way so that, we, we import these other imaginations with an us versus them to where we would, we would see other areas of life where clearly Jesus is on our side and couldn't be on the other side. We don't practice that kind of imagination very often. And so we don't bring that with us into sport. I think that would be a phenomenal exercise. Again, the nature of this podcast is supposed to be how do we take theology and how do we make it practical for people? And I think if, if that's a word for anybody, for our coaches particularly, when they sit down to give a pregame speech, to give it with, if you're a Christian coach who loves Jesus, with whatever you're going to say about this upcoming competition, whenever you talk about the other team, it needs to, the assumption needs to be that Jesus could be sitting in their locker room as well, and he is. And I wonder how that might even change the way some of our coaches think about the competition. I, I, I think part of that will have to kind of, it, it ends up going through our soul in a way that, has to deconstruct some things before it can reconstruct. It's, mm. it's in many ways like learning a, a new skill. When you start practicing it, you're probably gonna be worse for a while. Yep. There'll be a decline before the, the muscles in the brain kind of kick in and you get an incline. I mean, anger is such a great tool for me. What am I gonna do if I don't 
if I can't access anger. And I got to, so I don't know what to do. So don't do anything. <laughs> well, that seems worse. Right? Now, I, now I don't have a solution to it. Uh, and then I learn that, as we said, love is more powerful than anger. The problem with love is it's patient. And anger requires no patience and can get results like that. Love doesn't get results like that because love proves itself through patience and it takes time. It'll get, but once it breaks through, it's exponential. But if I don't know how to make that transition and I feel like I'm not doing anything now or what I'm doing just is not working or at least not working in my own head. You've got to deconstruct those things before you can reconstruct. That's that kind of the learning circle, circle of, of observe, reflect, and discuss. That's what repenting is. You got to, re in essence, you've got to repent. And yeah, repent means to yeah. rethink. I think for me, as I've been doing sports ministry for nine years, one of the things that I keep, well, I'm very clear on this, that as we've approached discipleship in the in Christian community, sport has been one of those areas that we've just kind of decided doesn't need to be submitted to the discipleship process. It just kind of, we'll just run everything we did before Jesus and we'll just bring it right into my Christian experience in coaching and in, in competing. And I think that's the whole purpose of this conversation is to say sport doesn't get a pass on being part of that discipleship process of submitting, having my mind transformed in Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, have your, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are so conformed to the way this age does sport, and then we allow it a free pass sometimes. It feels like to me, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing. So I, I think what you're saying is that sport has to be passed through that filter of disengaged and re-engage, deconstruct, reconstruct. But man, that's a process. It is, but we got a little bit of time <laughs> to do that. Right. We, it doesn't matter. We should always take time. We should right. always take time. But even if we could have these questions, I, I, I came across some questions that I wrote down before on, on coaching that I said, if everything you do in coaching is an extension of who you are. Right. So what if we began to filter our life and our actions by asking, does this choice expand life? Mm. Does it make the world better? Does it produce the good? Does it create the beautiful? Does it affirm the true? Mm. And if we could process that, then you get down to even the simple things like this. If I'm teaching my kids in American football that when there's a fumble around the ball, you're pointing our direction. You're going to point our direction. Why? Well, because that's what everybody does. Well, why? The only purpose, unless you're there as the kind of person that's just, I hope we got it, I hope we got it, and it's just an extension of your hope, that's a different thing. But if you're just doing it and you've seen that the other team recovered it, but you're there pointing your direction, then you're teaching your kids to lie for the sake of the possibility of changing the official's mind. That's why you're doing it. It's deception. It is deception for personal gain. Why don't you teach them how to cheat on their, their math test while you're at it as well? Because it's the same thing. And that's uh, a job. But Mark is just part of the game. It's just part of the it, game. It is part of the game. 
The question is, should it be part of the game? That's exactly right. And, and the, all of that, it comes from functionally determining that winning's the most important. As, as Ken Burns said, who did that brilliant PBS documentary on baseball, yeah. he said that I have never in all of my baseball research come across a player who, when knowingly got a call that went that, their way that they knew was wrong, ever corrected. Hmm. Ever. That's well, the official's job. It's part of the, my job is to deceive the official. We seed our moral character, and that's why, that's why competition, the way it's been formed in us, for most of us, collides with the kingdom more than we would like to admit. I, Mark, and I want to hone in on that for just a second. You, you do a lot of work with FCA now exclusively internationally. Is this an American experience of sport, or is this something that you see internationally? Or is this particular to us as the way we have inherited sport as Americans? Um, it, is, it is inherent in the fallen human being to be self-interested. Yeah. And this is just a function of self-interest. Gotcha. Sport just happens to be the most classic exercise in self-interest. Gotcha. And, and we, we, there's some good of self-interest because even the Bible says to love others as you love yourself. There's a proper kind of self-interest, but it shouldn't override the interest of others. And so that it is, it's just that fallen nature to want, uh, to want to achieve your goals. My goal is to win a game. The problem is if not, I confuse my my goals override my purpose, then your goal becomes your purpose. That's right. And that's the problem. You can have the goal to win the game. I hope the other team wants to win. My goodness, if the other team didn't want to win, they'd be robbing me of the joy of the unknown. Right. We, yeah, that's exactly right. We do not, we, from childhood, the kid who takes his ball and goes home is the worst kid. I would, I would rather him stay and play. I can't play without him. And so for another team not to bring their best and want to win, short circuit the whole, the whole deal. It robs me. And, and if I didn't, but I want to, there's got to be something bigger than winning. I want to win, but then I have this situation that every once in a while you find pockets of beauty out there. The, where it, and the job of beauty is to attract. That is the fundamental role. And the, the kingdom of heaven is always beautiful. And when you see it in the sport world, which it appears once in a while. It does, yeah. But it's always appears when someone else's self interest someone else's interest becomes more important than your own mm-hmm. when you're willing to lay down for something bigger that you know several years ago in 2008 in that Washington central Washington uh, Concordia softball game where that girl you know tore her yeah her, her uh, ligaments coming around the base and the other team picked her up and took her around the bases to touch them all to get a home run. It takes your breath away. Yeah. It draws you in. It makes you cry. It's just, it's beautiful. And, And then you, those are the stories that where you say, this is where the kingdom breaks in. 
it will never break in in self-interest. It can't because it's the kingdom is giving. It is not taking. And uh, you just you you just have to focus on the journey, not the destination. That's the nature of a dance. A dance is when I compete and I see it as a dance. It's the it is the journey that matters, not the end of it. It's the participation in the unknown and the, uh, the flourishing of humans in and I that. Think, I think, too, a part, of, a part of the issue that I keep finding with folks who view sport as a destination or the result as a destination, the problem becomes very obvious when you get to the end of the season because it's infinite. Games are infinite. That's what Lincoln Harvey says in his book, yeah. A Brief Theology of Sport. Because of their infinite nature, there is never an end. And so if we're always striving, it's like Tom Brady who would say after five Super Bowls, is this, a, is this all there is? Because as soon as I win it, I got to go to the weight room and get ready for next year. Yeah. And so that focus on the, on the destination and the result is actually damaging in long term versus, hey, it's the, it's the experience of the journey of, of competition, of, of being with each other and striving. It's that process that the result is not unimportant, but it's not the ultimate. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we have goals, and it's it's not unimportant to achieve your goals, to strive. But most of us won't, not all of them. But it doesn't make me a failure. The prop the problem is when the goal is the purpose, then there's this scoreboard of success and failure based upon the end result. Right. And now, uh, now I lose all of the joy that the kingdom journey is about. Yeah. Jesus said, follow me. That's a journey. Hmm. The beauty of the kingdom is in the journey, not in the destination. If we think it's only about a destination, then it becomes that theology of how do I get to heaven when I die? But my, my life can go to hell here as long as I get to heaven when I die. Uh, right. No, no, no. And, and the, there's just so much to rethink in sport. And, I'm, I mean, the other thing that becomes a, a kingdom issue is, is the issue of how the kingdom advances and how sport in many places advances. Mm. I mean, it, 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 the kingdom of, ha of, of heaven advances by love and forgiveness. And then that is, it's how it marches. And the ultimate act of love is when Jesus opened up his arms on the cross and, and, and he said, Father, forgive them. And the Father says, of course, that's what we do. And we love that the kingdom moves forward by that way in the least of these. And that, that's not how sport marches forward. And a lot of times the kingdom also was represented by the healing. And we have to start to take a look at how we treat our bodies. Are they... Are, are, are our bodies tools or are they temples? Right. Are they tools or are they temples? If they're tools, we start to treat them, disassociate from them, and even sometimes look at our my my elbow with contempt because I have tennis elbow. I, I look at my knee and say, you're the reason why I had to quit playing. Mm -hmm. And I start to treat my body with contempt instead of like a temple. Right. And, and uh, 
we have to start looking at that. Uh, that is probably the stickiest thing when you start to rethink. Yeah. If healing was a mark of the inbreaking of the kingdom, then sacking the temple is, is impossible to align. Right. It be, yeah, it becomes very difficult to try to discern. We know that Paul says that, that outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That the reality of barring Jesus' return and us getting glorified bodies, we're all headed downward after about 25. And so at what point do we take a part? At what point are we intentionally driving that our bodies into decay quicker than we should because of our overuse or overwork? I mean, those are really important conversations to have, especially in regard to, it's one thing, you know, and I'm just, I'm kind of verbally processing this, but it's, it's one thing to lay your body down and to degrade your body to support your family or to, to work hard for curing a disease or to, to care for someone. But again, we go back to this nature of sport as being, it's unserious seriousness. And so should I really be destroying my body for the sake of this thing that Lincoln Harvey would even say in a brief theology of sport is that it, it really is in the realm of non-reality. Because it has the results have no lasting bearing on reality, which would be his argument. So just thinking about the, the nature of the way our bodies are, are are abused or overworked in the realm of sport and what that might look like in other areas. I mean, that's that's a conversation that, quite frankly, I haven't even really thought much about. Uh, I would yeah. love to hear you riff on that a little bit more. Uh, I do know this: the kingdom of heaven never advances through violence, ever. Violence is coercive, or as it violence violates, it cannot advance through violence. All, all other kingdoms of, of this world do. In fact, if you looked at, I got a map behind me, and if you looked at any one of these borders, every border will tell you a bloody story. Everyone. Because every kingdom advances by power and violence. In the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus demonstrates, advances, but it's by love and forgiveness. Uh, and the three years that Jesus walked this earth was the announcement and the enactment of the kingdom of God. And one of the things he did was heal broken bodies. Our job isn't to break bodies worse, faster, more intentionally or otherwise, intentionally or, or otherwise. Uh, in my my question, that I, my question that I ask people that I'm still trying to process and haven't come up with an affirmative answer yet, and said, so if, if you can help me with that answer, it'd be great. But I'd like to know, how do I put my fist into your nose in Jesus' name? How do I do a violent act in Jesus' name? Because that's what it is. Uh, and look, I know it entertains us. I know people put money, food on their table with it. I, I mean, but that's not the question. Mm. Don't avoid the question by, well, what would happen if that didn't happen? And now you're going down a road that the powers and principalities have built this structure on so that it can continue. Mm. No, just how I'm starting with Jesus. 
I'm not starting with David and Goliath. I'm not starting because all of that is to point to Jesus and you got to start somewhere. And Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time God hasn't been like Jesus. There was a time we didn't know it, but we know it now. And Jesus absorbed the violence. That's how it stopped. He didn't perpetuate it. He healed. He didn't destroy. Uh, and if I'm to follow in those, and when the kingdom comes in its fullness, it will be a kingdom of healing, uh, where some things will be no more. Right. And I, if I'm praying thy kingdom come, if, I, if I'm asking as a coach, does this bring the beautiful? Is this affirming the true? Does it represent the good? Then we have to be willing to ask difficult questions about things we've come to know and love. Mm. We just don't like to do it because we want to keep it the way it is. Right. I like the rivalry. Man, I, have you, did you see that last fight at that game? It was awesome. You know, we, we, in baseball, we throw at people to get back. In hockey, we less and less, they're recognizing. It's, it's part of the game. Right. It is part of the game. Again, we come back to the first question. That doesn't mean it's good. Right. We have to ask the question, should it be a part of the game? Should not, it is it part of the game? Well, let me ask you this, Marcus. We wrap up the conversation. I would yep. love to have you back at some point, too. I would love to, to have you back and continue this conversation. But let's talk to our coaches for a minute. Most of our audience here are going to be coaches. There'll be a few parents and some athletes. But if you have a coach who looks at you and says, Mark, as a believer, I really want to grow in, in discerning what I should what, what should I be about as a coach if Jesus is, is going to reign and rule through my coaching where would you say he or she should start? <laughs> you, you start with Jesus and you start with a group of people. Okay. Because all of us are limited in our thinking and our knowledge. Uh, and we, we, we observe, we discuss, we reflect. That's what repenting is. Taking time to step back and say, I know this is how it is. But does it affirm the good, the true, and the beautiful? Because the kingdom of heaven is always beautiful. In, in the beauty of sport, done right, as I say, all sport is, a, a good picture of sport is sport is life condensed. It is life condensed. It's the season that they have a beginning and an end. Life has a beginning and it has an end. The main the main beauties of life are relationships and a cause. The my life is full. If it's full of relationships and I've given myself to a cause bigger than myself. Mm. Well, sport, it's just life condensed and it's filled with relationships and, the, and we can build a beautiful cause, a beautiful cause out of it. Mm. And, and like an accordion condensed, if you, if you spread it out, the highs and lows kind of go like this. But you condense that, you, you, they're just coming at you right and left. Yeah. What beautiful opportunities to form in your players and in yourselves mm. the Christ form in there. Because it's not just academic. It is at us 
it just the highs and lows come and those, that's where the learning is. Mm. That's where the learning is or the potential for learning is. Gotcha. Man, there's, here's, we say this, I believe that coaches are most impactful people in our schools and our communities. And they're probably the least trained at the area where they have the greatest impact. Mm. Agreed. Mind and the heart. Yeah. And, and stay good at the skills and strategy of the game. That's what captures our imagination. And it's, that's, there's something beautiful about that. But along the way, let's be formed in a Christ form. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You'll know what God's will is. Connect with our FCA people and others. And I mean, most of our FCA people have been formed in the arena of sport, and we've had to be, re we are constantly right. reforming as well. Yeah. As I say, most of us who are in sport ministry are in it because it worked for us. Right. We're, we're in a social Darwinism, we're the velociraptors, we're on the top of the food chain. But we start to recognize it didn't work for a lot of people and it really damaged others. Yeah. And so can we, can we use the platform and the, can we use the power of play and sport to create a flourishing life, to create flourishing relationships, to create a view of the other team as participants with us, not as those we're called to conquer. Do we treat the opponent that's coming into our house as a guest or as an invader? Are they our guest? Are they our invader? All of that stuff, you start to rethink and you go, oh, and then you start to go, yes, yes. There is when the kingdom comes, children will play in the streets. If we're going to play in the kingdom, we can play here too. Let's right. just do it right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we all have a little bit more time in this cultural moment of COVID-19, but uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for your, your thoughts and, and all the work you've put in and continue to put into to processing and writing and reading and thinking about this this question. If people want to know more, if they want to reach out to you, if they if they want to dig a little deeper, do you have any reading recommendations or web resources that you could point folks to? Uh, if if they want a book that will really mess with them, they can get Cheryl James Hoffman's uh, Good Game. <laughs> that you've you've got you've got a list of of, of folks too, and and um, there's not a lot that's specifically related to this. Yeah. There's not a lot, but there is a lot in the, in the life of Jesus. Yeah. They start Absolutely. there. There's look at the fruit of the spirit and how that should manifest itself in, in your life. Look at the sermon on the Mount and it all matters. It, it is how life flourishes right. is following Jesus. Yeah, that's great, Mark. Well, hopefully that uh, hopefully we at FCA are doing a great job helping coaches walk on that journey. That's our heart. That's our hope is that coaches will walk on a journey with Christ and that it will envelop all of their lives, including their vocation as coaches. Mark, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your mentorship, your friendship. Thank you for the, the trail that you're blazing as an FCA staff person trying to lead the way in this. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. It would be an honor. And thank you for any of those folks out there that have listened to this. That's the gift they give us. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. so, oh, and, it's, and it's a great gift. It's a great gift. Thank you. Awesome. Mark. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Sounds great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.